0: Welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. I had the opportunity a little over a week ago to do a wedding. And weddings are so much fun to do. Everybody's happy. And at the end of the day, if the couple's married, it's been a good day, no matter what happens, right? Weddings are exciting. And as the bride of Christ, we need to be just as excited as a bride on her wedding day because he's going to come for us. He's going to come for us. He cares for us and he loves us. And as we, we go through today what he's teaching us, he's teaching us these hard things, not so that he can yell at us and put us down, but because he loves us and he wants us to be his bride, pure and undefiled. Let's be excited because we're the bride of Christ. There's a wedding coming. Weddings are exciting. Weddings are fun. Good morning, everyone. Richie, thank you so much for your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I continue to be amazed at at Pastor Richie's sensitivity to the Spirit and his leading. You know, he, I don't know if you've noticed, but he is like insanely talented. But he's up here and he's not drawing attention to Richie and the band. He's drawing our attention to the Lord. Because Richie understands what worship is. And we, uh, we got a little undignified this morning. And the Holy Spirit was here with us, and it was all good. It was all good. So we're going to continue with this series on the bride, and we're going to uh, do it quickly. <laughs> as, uh, as I look at the clock. Um, so today we're going to move to the, the letter to the next church in, in uh, Revelation 2. We'll start with verse 18 if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, But first, kind of recap, Pastor Mark was here last week. He was on fire. Yeah? Were you here? Did you hear? Yeah. He gave us a great message. I felt like I got a little bit of a spanking, but I think that was good. Maybe I needed one. But he he gave us some really great truths from the Word, and he shared with us, and he challenged us. But you know, at the very end, he said, I love you. I don't judge you. I don't condemn you. We love you. We want God's very best for you, and that's what we want. So today we're going to keep moving in the direction that we've been with with this series. And today's message has some similarities to what Pastor Mark preached about last week, because he talked about how culture kind of creeps into the church. I like to call it culture creep. It creeps in, and we accept things, and it's kind of a slow fade, but it happens, right? Culture creeps in on us, and we start accepting things that uh, we never would have accepted in the past. We start uh, doing things that we never would have done in the past. And it's because we, we accept this culture that creeps into the church and creeps into our lives. The things that come from outside the church that creep in. Well, today we're going to talk about some of the things that maybe don't creep in from outside the church, but creep in from inside the church. Uh, as we uh, talk about this next letter to the church in Thyatira. that's in Revelation 2, starting in Verse 18. And I'll tell you up front, the word Thyatira doesn't roll off the southern tongue very well. So I'll do my best with it, and uh, I'll do my best with it. So let's, let's get started I'm in the scripture, because um, what, what we're going to read here today is, is again, a, a way that culture um, changes us, a way that things change the church and, and take us into unrighteousness. And we forget, really, that we carry the righteousness of God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And sometimes as we get um, bullied around even by our culture and by, by some, some people and some uh, 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 groups of people with a certain agendas that want to bully us into to tolerating what they have to sell, for lack of a better word, then we go down that slippery slope and we kind of forget about that righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. So let's look at that. Um, in the book of Revelation 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 18 to 28. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying today. Father, that you would take away any distraction, that we would be able to hear with our ears and understand with our hearts what the Spirit is saying to this local body of your church, of your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the Lord starts out here with this letter to the church at Thyatira with some praise, right? And just a quick life lesson for all of us. It's always good to start out with a little bit of praise, with some good words about someone, especially if you're going to have to correct them or if you're going to even have to rebuke them. Find something that they're doing well and, and tell them they're doing a good job at it. It's not insincere. You know, be truthful and be honest, but find those good things that they're doing and encourage them in those things. And then as you have to give the word of correction or even rebuke, it, uh, it's a little easier because they trust you a little bit more because they know that you you know that they do some good things, but that they just need correction in this one piece. Uh, so that's just a little free bit of life lesson there uh, for all of us. So this church uh, you know, in Thyatira, the Lord started out uh, speaking to them, and, and he knows their works. He, he knows that they're faithful, they have faith, they patiently endure, they love each other, and Jesus praises that and celebrates that. These things are good. And the Lord does notice these things. He notices them and he celebrates them with us, the churches. He did in this church way back in the book of Revelation. And he celebrates that with us today. He loves to see us do good works and to do good things. His church doing well pleases him. He loves to see his church doing well. That's you and me. He loves to see us loving each other and loving the world and patiently enduring as he asks us to do. So what we have to do then is as we're doing those works and as he uh, calls us to those works to remember our first love. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about that. We talked about the church at Ephesus that uh, they were doing these good things, but they had forgotten their first love. So even as we do these great works, even as we do these good deeds and good things and love on people, we have to remember that it's because of our love for the Lord. It's because of what Jesus has done in our heart that we do these things. It's really, it's all about a soul. It's all about those who are yet to come, who we get to share Jesus with because we love him that much. So after Jesus praises them for their, their good works and their love and their faith and their patient endurance, you know, he tells them that he has a problem with them. He tells them that, uh, that there's something that he wants to discuss with them and correct that they're doing. He wants to correct them. Even in their loving and faithful and, and endurance, Jesus wants to correct them on some very important things. And I think... Today's church also needs some some correction on this very same topic, this very same topic. Jesus isn't happy that they tolerate this woman that they called Jezebel. She was calling herself a prophetess. Now, if you read the scripture, take a look at it again, it does say she called herself a prophetess. It doesn't say that she was one. It doesn't say that the church leaders recognized that in her and called her a prophetess. She called herself that. So that lends me to think that Maybe she has her own agenda. That maybe she's kind of willing to bully herself into uh, her agenda and the things that she wants to see in the church, the things that she wants to bring in the church. That maybe, since if she calls herself a prophetess and sets herself up on that pedestal, that she has that stage and that ability to do it. She led them into the, this practice of sexual immorality and the practice of eating food that had been sacrificed to idols, things that are definitely against what the Word of God teaches us. Now, when, when we hear these teachings, we can go back to the Word of God. And let's, let's say uh, uh, something's happening, happening in our culture, and we want to know, is that good? Is that, is that crazy? What's going on with it? Well, we can always take it to the Word and, and weigh it against the Word. Look at it against the Word and say, what does Jesus say about this? What does God's Word say about this? It's very possible that whatever's going on in culture... Is not a bad thing. It doesn't go against the word, so we can embrace it and accept it. But there are those things that we need to stand up against, that we need to stand for and say that we uh, cannot tolerate these things that are changing because we're going to stand with the truth, the truth of God's word. So this Jezebel, we'll give a little background on her. A lot of scholars, many scholars believe that the, the name Jezebel here in Revelation 2 wasn't really the name of this lady in the church. Uh, that it's more of a representation of a Queen Jezebel from the Old Testament. And we'll talk about her in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but this, this lady was uh, in, in the book of Revelation here that we're talking about, this Jezebel. She was bringing things in through her own agenda and her own ways that uh, were not coinciding with what the Word tells us and not coinciding with what Jesus taught just a few years before. So that's what, uh, that's what this Jezebel from Revelation is doing. But the Old Testament Jezebel is, is kind of what uh, we, we feel like maybe it's a refer back to her and what she was doing. And you can look in, in the book of 1 Kings, 20, uh, 1 Kings chapter 21. And we can see, if you want to flip over there, that's fine. If not, jot it down and you can read about it. Um, and it tells, uh, this, this uh, chapter 21 gives a great synopsis of really who this Jezebel was. She was a queen of Israel. Her husband's name was Ahab. He was king. And uh, so they ruled in Israel for a certain time. And notice that there is a place for Jezebel in this kingdom. She was the queen. So there was a place for her. And as we read through here, we'll find that, uh, that that was great. Her place as queen was good. But when she took the authority of the king and she tried to carry his authority, that's when things started to go downhill and things started to happen. And that's how the, the uh, the name Jezebel got carried over into the book of Revelation because she carried that, that same persona uh, into uh, the book of Revelation. So in chapter 21 of 1 Kings, starting with verse 5, it says, but Jezebel, well, let, let's go back and give a little backstory first. Uh, King Ahab had his uh, palace or whatever where he lived, and right next door there was a vineyard that he would like to have had. Uh, so he wanted to do the right thing. He went to the owner of the vineyard and asked if he could buy that vineyard. And the owner said no. He asked if he could trade a, a different vineyard because he really wanted this piece of land that was right next to the uh, his, his home. And this person said no. He wouldn't sell. He wouldn't trade. He just wasn't interested. And so King Ahab, he might have been like a kind of a measly little guy that, you know, didn't have a lot of fortitude or whatever it takes. So he got all upset and depressed about this, and he ended up coming home and crawling into bed and, curling up and being really sad. So then enter Jezebel. says, but Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? Because King Ahab was so sad that he wouldn't eat food. So she comes and says, oh, poor baby, why wouldn't you eat a little food? Maybe she didn't say poor baby. And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, that's the guy that owned the vineyard, and said to him, give me your vineyard or for money, Or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. So that's why he was sad and depressed and wasn't eating. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? I can kind of see that finger coming out, you know. that, Guys, you know that. (laughs) Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, Naboth, the Jezreelite. She was going to take charge. She was going to manipulate. She was going to intimidate. And she was going to make sure that that vineyard came into the kingdom. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. She took Ahab's authority and wrote letters in his name and sealed them with his seal. Again, taking his authority upon herself. Authority that she had no right to have, that she took up via manipulation and intimidation and bullying. She, she sealed it and she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Wow, that's pretty cold, huh? So Queen Jezebel through manipulation, through intimidation, basically through bullying, had this man killed so that she could get what she wanted and things would go her way. Intimidation, manipulation, bullying, just so that we can be changed, that we can change who we are. That's the things that come from inside the church as well as outside the church. So, this Jezebel was bullying her way in the church in the book of Revelation. She was bullying her way into the church through manipulation and intimidation. She called herself a prophetess. She turned the people's hearts away from the Lord and the righteousness that Jesus paid for on the cross. She turned herself away, turned the church away from that righteousness. But you know what? The church tolerated her. That was Jesus' beef against them, is you tolerated that woman Jezebel. Then once they started tolerating her, her practices were accepted. And then what? They were almost normal. They become normal in the church. And the church then was on that slippery slope of death and destruction. You know, Jesus promised to throw Jezebel on a sickbed along with those who were following her unless they repent. It's a slippery slope. Jezebel's bullying, Jezebel, Jezebel's intimidation Jezebel's manipulation was leading the whole church away from their righteousness in Jesus Christ down a slippery slope of death and destruction. So Jesus was warning the church, and he was encouraging them to stop following her, to stop letting her control them, control the church, and to stop with her agenda, bringing in and changing the church, and changing the people in the church through her own agenda. The church couldn't tolerate Jezebel and maintain its righteousness. There was no way that both of those things could happen. There was no way that, that the church could tolerate her and maintain righteousness. One of those had to go away. The church had to make a decision. They had to take a stand. Well, today, for all of us, it's a it's a cult- culture of tolerance that we live in. There's tolerance by means of culture creep, like Pastor Mark talked about last week. And there's tolerance that we're talking about this week that's just really... By manipulation, intimidation, and bullying that we are told that we have to believe in things, we have to accept things, that we have to embrace things and affirm things that we know aren't truths from the word, but the world, the culture, even some of those from within religion, tell us, No, you have to accept these things. You have to affirm these things. And tolerance can be a slippery slope. What we tolerate today can be normalized tomorrow. The things that we tolerate today will be embraced by our children in the future. We know that because we've seen our own lives and we've seen what our parents tolerated and the things that that has led to for us. But that's not going to stop. What we tolerate will be embraced by our children. So there, even those today, there are those who would like to bully their agenda into the church and tell the church that in the name of love and tolerance that we must accept their practices We must accept these things that they are pushing. We must accept their agenda. If we don't, we're not tolerant. We're not loving. They try to tell us that we don't love. They try to tell us that we're judgmental. No, we love and we want to correct and we want to bring people in line with the truth that is God's word. You know what the things are. You know the the hot button items that our culture is trying to sell us today. I don't need to go through and list all of those. You know what they are. So culture tells us that we have to tolerate or that we don't love. Tolerance and love, how do those things balance out? How does it balance out? What's the difference in these two? Is there a difference? Do we have to tolerate everything in order to love? I'm afraid that the church has been bullied into thinking that if we don't tolerate a behavior, then we don't love. That bully Jezebel, she tells us that our minds are closed, that we're closed-minded. Oh, just open your mind to all these new things is what she says. We're accused of being haters if we don't tolerate these things. These things that the modern day Jezebel is trying to bring into the church. It's a hard message. The dictionary defines tolerance or to tolerate as as allowing the existence, the occurrence or the practice of something. Something that one doesn't necessarily believe in or like or agree without interference. We could tolerate something that's going on in this world without embracing it. I mean, the truth is, outside of the church, outside of, these, uh, of the church body, we don't have a lot of control over what culture accepts. We, we're pretty much put in a place where those things are going to happen. We tolerate them, but we don't have to tolerate them inside the church. We don't have to tolerate them as the body of Christ. We don't have to do that. Our decision to tolerate in this society by loving those who God loves but not allowing it in our church because God's word speaks against it, it doesn't mean that we're not loving. Like Pastor Mark was saying last week, we love, we care for people, we want the best for people, but we have to take a stand. We have to stand up. And then Jesus tells us, he tells the, thi- the, the thi- tyrants to hold fast what you have until I come. To hold fast what you have until I come. What is it that we have what is it that we have that he wants us to hold fast to? What is it? Is it material things? Is it our money, our homes, our cars? No, we know that all things belong to the Lord. All things belong to the Lord. What we have is his Holy Spirit. What we have is his name. He's given us his name. He's given us his name. So we don't need to fear these bullies as they come in. We don't need to fear these things that culture tries to throw at us. Because a, bully's, a bully bullies best. When we're afraid, a bully bullies best when we're afraid. We don't have to stand up for that. And there was a guy back in uh, the Old Testament, if you're journaling on Wrong with Us, you probably just uh, journaled through it a few days ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago. It's King David. But it's David when he was a little boy. And his country, Israel, was fighting against the Philistines. And the Philistines had this big, scary, manipulative, intimidating guy. He was about nine feet tall. His name was Goliath. And for 40 days, he taunted Israel. He taunted the army of Israel. He told them to to come on, try to beat me. Try to beat me. Try to take me out. And for 40 days, the Bible says the army of Israel tolerated that. Now, don't you think they were a little upset at first? Don't you think they were irate on the inside? Who is this guy to stand up for that? And then after a few days, oh, that Goliath, I guess we'll tolerate what he's saying to us. It's just words. Sticks and stones can break our bones. And then it slipped into, oh, it's just Goliath. We'll just accept it. But then this little kid named David comes, bringing food to his brothers who are in the army. David's not even in the army And he comes up and he hears what's going on. He sees what's going on. And he gets mad. He gets mad. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this guy? Who is it? He has no right. Does he know whose we are? Does he know who we belong to? who is this uncircumcised Philistines? And and you might say, why in the world do we need to know that he was uncircumcised? (laughs) Because do we really need to know that? Yes, that's important. Because if you go back into the uh, history of uh, uh, the the Jews, the the history of the Hebrews, circumcision was God's covenant with them. When God instituted the act of circumcision, he said, this is our covenant. This is our blood covenant. And anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Anyone who curses you, I will curse. David remembered that. David knew that covenant. He knew it well. And he knew that Goliath's cursing of his army, of his country, would not stand. Would not stand. So what does David do? He stands up and and he says, I'll fight this uncircumcised Philistine. King Saul tries to give him all the, the... the armor and all the things to cover him and it doesn't fit him and he's all clunky and he says, no, I don't need all that. Give me five stones, five smooth stones and God's covenant. Give me five smooth stones and God's promises. That's all I need. So David took those stones and he went out to face Goliath and Goliath taunted him, made fun of him. Who is this guy that's coming out after this great and powerful Goliath the giant? And you know the rest of the story. David took a stand. David took a stand because he knew whose he was. He knew whose he was. And today, as culture tries to get in to the church and change who we are, we need to know whose we are. Whose we are? We're God Almighty's. We wear His righteousness. In 2 Corinthians five twenty-one, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that's Jesus, so that in him we might become, what? The righteousness of God. Do we know whose we are? Do we know whose we are? We carry the righteousness of God. All these bullies who want to come in and tell us we have to tolerate what they have to sell. No. No. We don't have to tolerate that. Because we know whose we are we know that that covenant that started with Abram way back in the day through David and then a new covenant through Jesus who shed his blood for us that gives us what we need to take a stand because you know what if David didn't take that stand Israel for generations would have been ruled by the Philistines they would have been captives of the Philistines For generations, if we don't take that stand, for generations we're going to be captives because the things that we tolerate are the things that our kids are going to accept. We've got to know whose we are. We've got to stand up. We've got to stand up. So in this letter to the Thyatirans, Jesus called for repentance. He called them to repent. So as Richie and and Chelsea sing for us. Think about that. Think about the things that we need to repent for corporately as a church, individually, those things that we've let creep into our lives. Those things that we've let a bully come in and tell us we have to tolerate and take a stand. Let's repent and take a stand. Take a stand because we know whose we are. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.